We have come to a crucial point in the Gospel of Mark. It, it is a major turning point, and that's why uh, the next few weeks leading up to Easter, we will, or Resurrection Sunday, whatever you want to call it, uh, we will be spending all four weeks on this one passage. We will be unraveling uh, certain themes and certain major things to consider here. And so please bear with me in the next four weeks. Uh, Today will be more of an introductory sermon. Uh, So um, take notes if you must. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. And he said to them, truly I say to you, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son, listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have come to a crucial turning point in discipleship. Knowing Jesus is the foundation of discipleship. So Jesus has been revealing himself through miracles, and then he went on to teach his disciples in more depth. He is beginning to reveal more about himself and what he has come to do because they were still partially blind. They returned to Caesarea Philippi and Jesus had just told his disciples that he was to suffer and die at the hands of the Sanhedrin or uh, the highest Jewish court. But he also revealed that he would rise from the dead and judge the world as the Son of Man. He calls himself the Son of Man quite frequently. The Son of Man is speaking of the divine human figure we see in Daniel chapter 7. And this divine human figure is to be king, and he will be responsible for bringing heaven to earth and to make a people for himself. He will grant new birth, and he will plant the seeds of new life in the hearts of men, and he will be fruitful and multiply. He will defeat the powers that be and be victorious over sin, Satan, death, and hell. This is why Jesus would tell his disciples that he would come in the glory of his Father. If we were to summarize this section of this chapter with one word, it would be glory. He will now give them a glimpse into the future of what this glory will be like. The glory of the Son of Man. He will now give them a glimpse into the future. And he will say, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death 
until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the end of discipleship. The end of discipleship is to see the kingdom of God. Discipleship, as Jesus lays it out for us, begins with first, confessing him as Christ, our Savior and Lord. To confess him as the Son of God, because he shares the same nature as God, having no natural father but God. That is the foundation of discipleship. You place your faith in him and confess him before men. Secondly, discipleship is to follow Christ. We follow him by taking up the cross, by seeking to obey his commands, which is another way of saying, the world is dead to me and I am dead to the world. Enough is enough. I have turned my back on the world as to the sin-crazed mania that everyone lives in. And I am heading toward God. Which will lead, thirdly, to seeing the kingdom of God in glory. That is discipleship in a nutshell. It is to take a walk with Jesus toward death, which is an open door to glory in the kingdom of God. Now, this is where Jesus has been leading his disciples to. And that is where he is leading all of us to because we must face the truth that all of us will have to die one day. But the question is, who are we walking with and who are we listening to? So today we want to answer, what is the transfiguration about specifically for his disciples? Well, first, the transfiguration is about a new creation. It is about a new creation. To understand this, we must understand the bigger picture here. We must consider where the situation fits in the bigger story of the Bible. First, we should ask the question, what is Jesus revealing to his disciples when he shows them his glory? When he shows them his glory, he is allowing them to see a glimpse of the kingdom of God as it will come in power. So what is the kingdom of God? It is the new creation. The theme of God recreating a people for himself is spread out throughout the entire letter. And this is the crossroads of creation. It is the crossroads of the old and the new creation. Uh, Jesus inaugurates or he introduces the last days and he introduces the new heavens and the new earth and he is signaling that the old heavens and the old earth will be done away with soon. The old order of the last days which we live in now will come to an end and here he is leading us to a new order. I often don't get into numbers too much. But in this sense, numbers are important. It says, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. In Luke's account, it says that it was after eight days, while here it says it was after six days. Is there a contradiction? No. I believe both accounts are important. In Luke's account, he is speaking of the total days, 
including the day he announced that they would make this travel, and the day that he is actually transfigured. While here, the first day is when it is announced. It took six days to get to the location, and the day it took place was the eighth day. Now, the the number of days here, and in Luke's account, are significant. As we know, God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And it was on the eighth day, the first day of the week, that Jesus is raised from the dead as the firstborn of the new creation. So the six days here is a hint to us that the old order of the week is going to come to an end. We are heading to a new creation where it is forever the eighth day or the complete day. It will be the Lord's day or the Christian Sabbath day forever. This is what the transfiguration points to. It points to the new creation beginning with Jesus Christ. It begins with Jesus on the day of his resurrection, the first day of the week or the eighth day. And there it says he was transfigured before them. This transfiguration is speaking of a change in his form. The Greek word used is the same word used for metamorphosis. Similar to the change that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly. In the butterfly, the glory of the caterpillar is revealed. What was veiled has now been unveiled before the eyes of these three men. They just got a glimpse into the glory of God and the kingdom of God. And this was to show them what was in store for all of his creation, especially for the people of God. This was to show his disciples what they were intended to become as completely transfigured people. A new creation. A new life. I believe this is perfect leading up to uh, Easter Sunday or, or Resurrection Sunday uh, coming up in the next few weeks. And as spring comes, we are reminded of life. And Jesus here is bringing us new life. And he is revealing this to his disciples, that they will soon have new life in him, as they will become a new creation. It is a joyous time of the year, um, maybe except for today with the rain and all, but we should consider the resurrection in the coming weeks. But also, secondly, the transfiguration is also about the new exodus. The new exodus and who Jesus is. It is revealed in a few ways. It is revealed in where he is, what happens to him during his transfiguration, and who he is found speaking with. Notice after six days where he takes them. Where is he? He takes them up a high mountain. Now there's been some debate over which mountain this is. It could have been Mount Hermon, which was located right by Caesarea Philippi. But traditionally, it is believed to be Mount Tabor, located southwest of the Sea of Galilee in Jewish territory, which would mean they spent six days 
to travel south to retreat once again to this high mountain. Uh, I take the view that it is Mount Tabor, uh, because this mount today is considered the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, There is even a church there uh, called the Church of the Transfiguration. But on this high mountain, what happens to him? He is transfigured, and his clothes become radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. In Matthew's account, the source of this light is revealed as it says that he was transfigured and his face shone like the sun. It shone like the sun, not just because the sun is the brightest source of light known to man, but it shone like the sun because just like the sun is the source of the light, the source of the light that the disciples saw was Jesus himself. It came from him. It it wasn't a reflection like the moon. This is what is described throughout the scripture as the glory of the Lord. Just like when an angel of the Lord appeared to a group of shepherds to announce the birth of the Savior, it says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. But here, the glory of the Lord is shown in the face of Jesus Christ and radiates from Him even through His clothing. This is the glory that He shared with His Father before the world existed. This glory is the veiled, unapproachable light in which God dwells. This is the glory that will fill the kingdom of His beloved Son. And into this kingdom, the people of God have been transferred out of the domain of darkness. And notice who is with Him. Well, He brings with Him Peter, James, and John. Uh, These are significant disciples because uh, they hold a place of prominence uh, among the disciples. Peter is the obvious leader who will bring the gospel to the Jews and Gentiles. Uh, James, the brother of John, not the brother of Jesus, will be the first disciple to be killed. Then there is John who is believed to be the beloved disciple. uh, The one disciple that will live to see The glory of the kingdom of God three times. The first is here. Then he will see it as he is taken up by Jesus. As it is recorded in Revelation. Then when he finally gets to glory. Jesus brought these three men as you needed two or three witnesses to confirm a story. Uh, Remember Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Uh, This is the account that Peter was thinking of. And Jesus brought three similar to the way Moses brought Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu up the mountain to meet with the Lord, that is, the pre-incarnate Christ. Both Moses and Elijah meet with the Lord on a mountain. Moses was on Mount Sinai, and Elijah was on Mount Horeb. So this was kind of like a reunion, because it says, and there appeared to them Elijah and and Moses. And and in Luke's account, it says they were in glory and they were talking with Jesus. Uh, But the glory that they were in was a reflection of the glory 
that's shown from Jesus. You'd probably ask yourself, as I would, what were they talking about? Well, in Luke's account, it says they were speaking about his departure. Or better translated, his exodus. Which he was to accomplish at Jerusalem. See, the theme of exodus, like the new creation, is found throughout the letter of Mark. It is found throughout the New Testament, and of course, it is found even throughout the Old Testament. As I've mentioned before, if we look at the book of Psalms and read it in order, you will see that it is just one big exodus. And this exodus goes upward. Up toward the top of a mountain. Up toward Jerusalem. Up toward the temple. It begins with the righteous man in Psalm 1. Followed by a call from God to be joined to this righteous man in Psalm 2. Kiss the son lest he be angry. And the people of God will now be identified with this king or this son as they are united to him and he will take them up with him through this exodus. The people of God will go through their wilderness wandering and then there is this gradual ascent to the temple as we see in the songs of ascent in the Psalms. But the most obvious place is in the book of Exodus. Exodus was about God saving his people from Egypt and leading them to the promised land of Canaan or Israel. Jerusalem being the capital and the location of the temple is on an elevated plateau in the Judean mountains. So Exodus is about going up to an elevated place, a mountain, to meet with and dwell with God, or better, for God to dwell with us. This is what is happening here. Moses and Elijah met with God on a mountain during their earthly life. And now in glory, they are meeting with God on a mountain. But this time it is different. Let's recount what happened to Moses and what is happening in our text. Moses would meet with the Lord on Mount Sinai. And much like our text, after Peter does some nonsensical rambling... It says, and a cloud overshadowed them. In Exodus, it says that Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And this is what happens here, but with a twist. As God the Father says, as his voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. So the father doesn't speak. He tells his disciples. They are to listen. To his son. God meets with his people. On a mountain again. And God is saying. Everything that happened. In the Old Testament. And the appearances of God. Throughout the Old Testament. On the mountain. Is fulfilled right here. In Jesus. And on top of that, this is a a Trinitarian revelation. The Father speaks, 
The sun is radiating the glory of God, similar to a, a devouring fire, as it is described in Exodus. The Holy Spirit comes in the form of a cloud overshadowing them. And this was all to confirm that the Son is God and the Savior of His people who will lead them out in this ultimate exodus from this world. Because we all will have to make this departure one day. We all must make this exodus. I love my country, uh, and we are called to love our neighbors and in turn love our country. But we must come to the realization that every country, including this one, is just another Babylon. It is just another Egypt that we must make our exodus from. Jesus is the one who brings the kingdom physically. Not us. We do not have that power. But the question that this passage is also seeking to ask is, where does this exodus lead us? Where does it lead us? Well, consider this as a fulfillment of what didn't happen to Moses in the book of Exodus. What didn't happen to Moses. Because Jesus is showing his disciples that he is going to lead his people in this exodus out of this world successfully and bring them into the glory which he shared with his father before the world existed. Because that's what the exodus is about. It is about leaving this world and entering the promised land and sharing in God's glory. In Exodus, Moses pleads with the Lord, please show me your glory. But the Lord responded, no. For you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Notice, uh, Moses asked to see glory, and the Lord responded, you cannot see my face. These two go hand in hand. Glory. And the Lord's face. So what did he do? He hid Moses in the cleft of the rock. While his glory passed by. And was only allowed to see his back. For his face shall not be seen. So in Exodus. What didn't happen to Moses? He didn't. See. The face of the Lord. Because no one can and live. And Moses didn't see. The promised land. But here, what Moses requested, God fulfilled. What Moses requested, God has fulfilled. He has finally seen God's glory and has seen his face. He has seen his face. He can now put a face to the name. Moses and Elijah can now see God face to face. You're probably saying, well, God has no face. Well, Jesus took on flesh and became a man so that we may have a face to look at, to put a face to the name and a name to the face. God's glory needs a veil for our sake, not for his sake, but for our sake, we need a veil. And that veil 
is Jesus' flesh. And this is why we all have faces, right? To express the image of God. And according to Scripture, Jesus is the ultimate image of God. Why do you think we're not allowed to set up images to worship? Because God has set up His own image to worship. And that is Jesus Christ. And when we worship the Son, we worship the Father. That's why He said, when you see Me, you see the Father. Not because they're one and the same, but because He is the mediator of God's glory to us. And we are called to worship Him. What a glorious day it will be when we will see the face of Jesus. And He says to us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Also, Moses, not only does he see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, but also he will see the promised land, the heavenly mount of the new Jerusalem, even though he was unsuccessful. Now remember that. He was unsuccessful in the Exodus. It will be because of what Jesus would accomplish for him and for us. Jesus will be successful in what Moses you and I have failed to do. He will live a perfectly obedient life, die on a cross, and be raised on the third day. And Jesus would later make his ascent or his exodus to the heavenly temple of the New Jerusalem from another mountain, Mount Olivet in Jerusalem. As the disciples were looking on, He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Uh, Some have tried to argue that uh, the idea of heaven being above us is wrongheaded. Uh, One movie portrays Jesus walking into a cloud, uh, clouded distance straight ahead. But that is not what is depicted here. He was lifted up. Our exodus will be upward as we will be caught up together with the saints in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now this entire occasion makes sense of the passage which you heard this morning when I uh, called you to worship. It says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Jesus is the house of the Lord as He is the body of as his body is the temple of the glory of the Lord. And where he is in the new Jerusalem, it has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. 
for the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. So why is this transfiguration important for us now? Well, because He is making for Himself a new people. A transfigured people. This is telling us what is coming. There is a new creation and a new order of things coming where Jesus will rule. He will come with the glory of His Father with the holy angels. And this is either going to be a dreadful day if we're not prepared or it's going to be a day of rejoicing. If we're not prepared, we should be afraid of this day. We should be in terror when He returns. Because it will not be a day of rejoicing for for those who have not trusted in Jesus. But if you are a Christian, what the disciples saw on that mountain is going to be the common experience of all of us when we see Him When he returns in his glory. If you are a Christian. This is a glimpse. Into our exodus. This is where we are heading to. As a people of God. This is where Jesus is leading his disciples. This is the end of discipleship. We are ascending up to a high mountain. And this is where discipleship leads us to. It leads us to a high mountain where we will see Jesus. This is where we will gaze at His face and His mystery will be eternally revealed to us. What Jesus revealed to His disciples was the fact that there is more to Him than meets the eye. And imagine all of us who have not seen it yet. What glory we will behold. Because there, there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sin. And our joy will be fulfilled. But on the way there, we are transfigured inwardly, little by little, as Paul said to the Corinthians. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one glory, one degree of glory to another. But when we get there, to the top, we too will be totally transfigured. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears... We shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. They went up this mountain to get away from the world and all of its distractions, symbolizing our final exodus out of this world into the heavenly temple or the heavenly mountain. We are called to make this pilgrimage to ascend the holy mountain, but on the way, the problem is we tend to look back, don't we? We tend to look back. The church today seems to have its sights on the world rather than the mountaintop. Some people are taught and they believe that the end of discipleship is all about transforming this world. 
as if humans are actually able to do so in our own power. No, it is about being transformed. It is about being transfigured by God in order to see Jesus. Without shame, we need new bodies made for heaven. Are you going through this process? Do you see your sin for what it is? As something that will damn you? Because in His presence, in His glory, no sin can enter. That's something to consider even today as we partake of the Lord's Supper. We are called to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. If we're being prepared to see Jesus. That's what I'm called to help you with. It is part of Satan's trickery that he uses to try to keep our attention earthbound rather than heavenbound. We are so caught up in the fads, the trends, and all the social movements that our eyes have been straying from this path up the mountain toward Jesus. And that is why we need to hear these words over and over again, coming from God our Father. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Keep your sights on Him. And may His face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Let us pray.